Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to the last episode of season two of Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat. I'm just going to be taking four weeks off and I shall be back again in September, but I am leaving you with an absolute goodie. Today I'm chatting with my winemaker, the head winemaker of Balfour Winery. Now this is an awesome episode if you're interested in the English wine industry. We're going to talk about Pinot Noir and its future in England. Have you heard about Crouch Valley in England? My guess is in a few years that is going to be labelled a Grand Cru site. We're going to be talking clones and rootstocks, which is rather convenient seeing as the episode before was all on viticulture. And also we're going to touch on how our business model works in Balfour now, working with the growers of England and how that is expanding. So to give you some context of where we are in England and Wales in terms of plantings, currently we've got 3,800 hectares planted across England and Wales. That's up 70% in the last five years and has quadrupled since 2000. We have 800 vineyards and 195 wineries. Now this is the last time I'm going to be mentioning this as I'm in the running for the People's Choice Podcast Awards and voting is only for July. So there's one week left. If you haven't voted yet, please do go across to www.podcastawards.com. Once you're on the nomination page, just go to the arts category. You'll find me there and just go to the bottom of the page and click save nominations. Right, let's finish off with a little bit of balance. Fergus, how does it feel to be sat on the other side of the chair having me interview you? Um, I mean, I'm honoured, uh, incredibly <laughs> proud, uh, excited. Uh, These are great emotions. Um, you know, it's, it's a big day for me. Um, I, I, I mean, I'd love to say that the anticipation has been building for weeks, but you only told me about this 20 minutes ago. So frankly, uh, I don't feel like I've, I've been able to have that real piquancy of excitement. Um, but you know, no, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm really oh, excited as well. It's, oh. Having been a long time listener, this is, this is a, this is an exciting moment. Well, how exciting that now we work together because our story goes back, back right to the beginning. When did you start as a seller hand at Balfour? Oh, yeah, it was quite, it was quite a long time ago. It was, um, so, it? I mean, I've, I've been full time since 2014, which I think is when we first met. I do, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Way, way back. But I'm, there are actually pictures of me loading presses in 2010. Um, uh, uh, and there's evidence. Okay, okay. Uh, photographic evidence, and then I've sort of spent <laughs> I've spent a few summers in the vineyard. I've spent some spent some summers in the in the winery while I was. And these, this was while I was sort of still, you know, quite young and a student and 
just looking for some looking for some part time work when I came home. You know, every single holiday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was either, you know, I was either I was either to be found in the shop at Chapel Down, in the vineyard at Chapel Down, or the vineyard here at Balfour, or the shop at Balfour, or the winery here. Um, so you didn't travel far afield. When did you become no. head winemaker at Balfour? I've been head winemaker since vintage twenty nineteen. The reason I love the fact, the synergy and the connections of life that I'm now working for Balfour is that here you are as head winemaker now, but when we met, as you said, in 2014, we sat out, you did my personal tour because I think Balfour, this is how much not only Balfour, but the English wine industry has changed. It wasn't, I don't think there were proper, proper tours, were there? Back in 2014, was it? It was ad hoc. Uh, or... I, I think it was pretty ad hoc. Yeah. Um, I can't. I, yeah, it was. It was small. I mean, you know, those days there were three of us in the winery. We sat on picnic furniture. Oh God, yeah. Oh, picnic furniture was a luxury. Uh huh. Um, uh huh. But you know, the full time team in the winery was three people, and then and then you had one in the office and then a part-timer maybe two in the office so yeah it was a very small team in those days and now and I say we because I am so included in this what 30 maybe 35 I don't know yeah probably probably pushing 35 I mean if you if you include all the part-timers it's it's even more than that and if we include Um, the dog Carly yeah well there's yeah Harley then Richard's two Dalmatians as well of course yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. no I mean it's, the team it's, continues it's a, to grow it's it's incredible how and, and to watch that grow I mean I've been incredibly lucky yeah you know, I, I came here in 14 my my plan then was I'll do a year and then I'll go off and do something else because I I didn't want to be a winemaker <laughs> didn't you want to be a fighter pilot or maybe just a pilot uh, I, I want to fly I... helicopters uh, I just added so, yeah. the fight a bit because it's cooler <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, helicopters get guns and stuff. That's pretty cool. Uh, well, I <laughs> yeah, am was, pleased. I'm pleased <laughs> you chose to be a winemaker because you are doing a phenomenal job. I can say that because if you weren't, I wouldn't be working as the brand ambassador. So I'm so pleased that we're going to go into the nitty gritty. But I want to yeah, come and bring it. Well, no, it's true. But I want to come back to, you know, your everyday work in life now. Not only do we have your skills and ideas, but we also have your dad, Owen Elias, which he's been around for nearly 30 years and started with Chapel Down and has made wines for Nutborn and Kingscope. Yet, because he's so humble and quiet, no one seems to know quite as much as what he's done. So it's amazing we have both of you at the helm. So I want to ask, what is it like working with your dad? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> can you be truthful? Or... <laughs> yeah, I, know, it's, I can be very open and frank about working with dad. It's actually, I, I genuinely enjoy it. It's a genuine pleasure. He is. I mean, you, you very briefly touched on his CV. His CV for English wine is hilarious. If you go back, he's made wine for just about everyone. So yeah, there's, he's still at Nutborn now. He was director of wine at Chapel Down uh, for 20 odd years. Um, he made the wines at Kingscote. He made the wines at um, Ambriel briefly when before, ah, when they were they, the when beginning. they were yeah at the beginning okay. they were they started out life together with Nutborn. So he was making their wines. Okay. Uh, he makes the wines the still wines and some of the sparklings at Artelium, who are doing very mm. well at the moment. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. He set up Defined Wine. He was the consultant winemaker there. And they're now, you know, they're now going going great guns. And, and obviously they have their own team and stuff like that. But you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
the old man has done pretty well. And then, you know, obviously <laughs> did some bits at Balfour. You know, he, he does some bits. He comes in. He dabbles. <laughs> well, he's been dabbling since the beginning and uh, we're still really waiting for has. him to undabble, but that hasn't happened. Yeah, he happened, just doesn't it? stop dabbling. Um, <laughs> but no, no, he's, he's, it's, it's, it's quite a daunting prospect. And, you know, this was after a, quite a successful career as a record producer. Um, a record producer? Yeah, yeah. He had his own record label uh, called Disco Freak. His biggest, the biggest band was a band called the Bundu Boys, who are a Zimbabwean um, no rock idea. group. Okay. They were, oh, they were proper cool. John Peel really likes them, and John Peel actually called my father a genius uh, live <laughs> on air. Um, and they're, they're an amazing band, and you, you, they, I think they did two albums. It was at the time where they would sort of created the genre of world music as this sort of catch-all genre for all African music. Dad always rallied against that. It was this. It was pop music. Just because they were from Africa didn't mean, you know, <laughs> it didn't mean that they couldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but they were. They're really cool. They're well worth a listen. They're very. It's really happy, lovely music, and and most of them are now gone you know one of them got AIDS the other one's on the run and I think one of them just died yeah it's it's hilarious and they you know they opened for Madonna and I was like cool so did you get to meet her at the after party and dad was like no I was too drunk I don't remember the after party what a waste okay Uh, so I want to get that music played when I'm down at the winery tomorrow like to have a listen we'll put we'll play it over the speakers it'd be great perfect let's do it so um, what is the best thing if you is there one thing you could say that you've learned from Owen, from your dad? Uh, I've learned a lot. Um, the best thing, I, you know, sometimes I think probably winemaking by neglect can work. That was quite a useful day. Um, okay. You know, sometimes, sometimes just letting a wine sit for a little while longer because you're not quite sure what you want to do with it. So patience. Isn't, isn't mm-hmm. a bad thing. So yeah, patience, I suppose, is, is a more generous way of describing it. Um, <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, the man's been making, he's made, uh, it must be north of 10 million bottles in his career, at least. It's it's ridiculous. Um, I've, I've learned pretty much everything from him. Oh, well, now that's interesting you say that. This is the, the, the better question. What do you mm. think that he has learned from you? Ah, <laughs> what's the line? <laughs> <laughs> the apprentice becomes the master. Right. Um, <laughs> um, I think probably that one thing that's been quite interesting since since I became head winemaker, so that was 2019, as we said, is I've obviously, as a result, wanted to stamp more of my style onto our winemaking. And one of the one of the things that you're seeing more and more in the Balfour wine portfolio is malolactic fermentation. So I think mm, the okay. one thing I've taught my father, who famously is quoted as saying, you don't need malolactic if you've got ripe fruit. Um he he was always very anti-mallow in all instances. Um, and I can understand why, but in, in recent years, you know, the bacteria have come along so far. We we use packet bacteria um, to, to get our malolactic ferments through. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so much less intrusive. You don't get that buttery flavoured profile. You don't, okay. that, that doesn't, doesn't come through as strongly these days. And so you actually get more purity of fruit. Um, so... I would say the thing that my father has learned from me is that malolactic can be your friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and mallow is not just for Christmas. It's not just for Christmas. And, it, you know, it's, it's great because the wine's like, you know, Chardonnay. I Winemakers love Chardonnay, non-mallow Chardonnay in tank. It tastes phenomenal. But you put that in a bottle and it's, you know, a TA of, of 10 yeah. or nine and a half. And actually, that's pretty full on. 
Um, whereas if you can get it down to eight or seven and a half, then that's that's perfect. And sorry, t- just because for people listening, TA is titratable acidity, right? Am I correct? Yeah, Tartar- yeah. Uh, titratable. Yeah, expressed as tartaric. Perfect. And we don't want it to be super, super high. Can we go back to the mallow? Because I find that mm-hmm. really, really interesting. You said that now you can use packaged bacteria to help the process along. Obviously, malolactic fermentation is something that is natural. As long as you have the right temperatures, it can just happen. Is uh, it, it can. It's yeah. very hard to do it that way, though. Why? That's really interesting. Why? Um, well, especially in, in England in particular, it's it's very hard because we tend to have very low pHs. Okay. And for malolactic fermentation to go through, you want a nice high pH because right. that's what makes the because it's a bacterial uh, fermentation. Bacteria like, funnily enough, um, higher pHs. That's why that's why you know sushi is stable because the pH is like two point one or something ridiculous. That's how they that's how they stop microbial growth on on sushi okay um and so if you sort of if you think of the sushi analogy and you go okay (laughs) i want i want these bacteria to grow and you've given them a wine that's at 2.97 um yeah they're not they're not going to be interested um they they will they will go through naturally sometimes but Mm -hmm. not always fully as well it might you might get a partial partial. malolactic um and so yeah, it's it's very common, especially in these cooler climates, to use packet bacteria. So it comes as a culture that you can mm. add to a tank, and then you build that culture up, and then you use that superculture to seed your other tanks. Okay, that's so interesting. And so presumably, though, just like yeast and yeast strains, you can choose mm. many different bacteria strains to use uh, for your malolactic fermentation? There are a few options. It's not quite as exciting as the world of yeast. The world of yeast <laughs> is phenomenal. The, the, your options are infinite. Mm-hmm. Um, malolactic is slightly less inspiring you probably got four or five main okay. strains from the from the big guys but then you could yes in theory you could go to every small producer of winemaking ads and they'll all have their own strains that they use um okay. so yeah so now just to quickly finalize on this fabulous conversation that i'm personally having on mallow um you mm. said that by using your kind of packaged bacteria it's not so creamy and but you're still yeah. getting and buttery is what you were saying so yeah. you're going away from that but you're still adding quite a lot of texture right because you are the whole process is softening the acidity the sharp acid. Absolutely. so you are so because i actually said to you when we did a tasting when i first started at balfour i was like are you a texture junkie and you were like, no. But I was like, I felt that every wine, and I think this is exactly why, has that beautiful texture to acidity balance. And quite clearly, that is what you're trying to do with all your wines, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think I was probably lying through my teeth when I said I wasn't a texture junkie. <laughs> I, I love building texture into wines is uh-huh. one of my favorite things. And it's it's certainly a calling card in my of my whites. Is I, I like to use um, batonage, which... You know the, the stirring of the leaves within mm-hmm. the tank um, to build body and volume within my wines, and it also gives it this incredible sort of creamy yogurty note, which I really like um, and look for a lot, especially in Chardonnay. I think it's a really interesting quirk. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd say that texture is is so crucial, especially in English wine. 
Well, the acidity in our wines in England, we're abundant <laughs> in acidity, aren't we? Absolutely. We've got plenty of that. Uh, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I think, I think that'd be fair. And, and yeah, malolactic certainly helps to, towards that. But then, yeah, it's all about building in and, and winemaking. It's not, you know, it's, it's about lots of layers of flavour. So it's, it's malolactic and then it's lead stirring and then it's yeast strain choices and, and, and all of that you know coming together with with different fermentation temperatures and different clonal choices all of these mm. things sort of come together so there we make you know it's the best job in the world because you make thousands and thousands of decisions and luckily i i like making decisions it's just <laughs> <laughs> and for anyone when you do come down to balfour we have the full setup we have the presses we have the bottling lines the disgorgement we have everything so there is a and a lot of how many wines do we make how I many i think wines? it's 27 skus now so yeah it's yeah. a lot um so exactly you can't be disorganized in the job you must be good at excel documents right um uh, pretty good at, pretty good at excel um also I, I carry a lot in my head i've always been one of those people who's who knows everything that they're doing um all right, show off. Once. Uh -huh. Well, I, I, I always used to be, but the, the problem is we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and now all yeah. of a sudden I'm discovering there is a limit to how much I can store in my head. So oh. I, I now keep a diary, which I never used to do, and it's like, dear diary, today we did this. I think I'll do this next week. Um, but it just it just helps me keep keep on top of keep on top of the winemaking world and that but yeah no i'm very good at excel i love it love a nice excel with a circular reference that doesn't work um yeah oh, that's always let's fun. not go to, i hate excel documents but what i would like is in a few years for you to publish your dear diaries i think it could be fantastic we could make a great read <laughs> no well, you don't want to see the section on your first day at balfour <gasps> Oh, I do, but I don't think I'll be showing it to anybody else. No, I want to. We, you've mentioned whites. Now, Balfour has a pretty good reputation for some of the best reds coming out of England, which I'm very proud about. So I want to talk about the Winemakers Collection, the latest release, the Gatehouse Pinot Noir. So tell me what happened on Friday, because many people won't know. Oh, yes, Friday. Friday was fun. Um, so we picked up, uh, well, we entered the Wine GB Awards, so that's sort of the... Yeah, go back a little bit before Friday, yeah. Well, a bit of context, <laughs> otherwise it's just a bit yeah. weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we entered the Wine GB Awards uh, this year, which we haven't we haven't done for a couple of years, it's for no particular reason. It, it, life's just been busy and, and we've gone in other directions, but it's important to support, you know, our, our own country's awards scheme. So we, mm -hmm. so we, we entered a few wines. And and one of those was the Gatehouse Pinot Noir. And we found out a few weeks later that we'd actually managed to pick up a gold medal for that, which Yay! is very exciting. Yeah, and it was a very exciting moment. We were all very pleased. Um, and then uh, if you get a gold medal, your wines get entered into the sort of the next tranche. So the next tranche is, is um, the trophy. So you might you, you stand a chance of winning a trophy. Upsettingly, if you want to find out if you've won a trophy, um, straight away as it were you have to go to the lunch and wine tasting um in london so it was awful don't act like that no. was a horrible thing to do this friday it was really tough you know, <laughs> i had a really hard day i drank a lot of english beers most of it was made by dermot so the acids were through the roof <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Um, but no, no, I, I, I jest. It was actually, it was fantastic. And yes, luckily, fabulously, um, and unbelievably, we managed to secure the best English red uh, trophy, or, um, which we've shared with Gusborne. Um, but let's not talk about that. We're focusing on us here. Uh, <laughs> Moving on. Uh, and we're, no, we're, it was it was it was really exciting. It was it was so lovely because uh, you know a lot of the winemaking team managed to to head up to London for this event, um, and it's the first time we we've, we've sort of done trophied since well since I became a head, head winemaker. Actually, it was beginning to become a bit of a monkey on my back that I hadn't picked <laughs> up a trophy. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really lovely day, and we got this really nice day out, um, and and to to win an award was really fabulous. Sadly, we didn't win best English still wine, um, which means that we didn't get entered into the final trophy competition, which of course is supreme champion. Which yeah. I mean, frankly, that sounds a bit ostentatious. I wouldn't want. To I be don't know. Supreme I champion. think we no. I think we would. We're gonna have to try. No, we're, we're, we're gonna we're, have to try harder next. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're 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 modest and meek here. Okay, and... <laughs> we're happy with our, we're happy with our best red, aren't we? We're delighted with our best red. Brilliant. So tell me though, with the winemakers collection, obviously every year you and Owen, you're like, mm, okay, these clones are great, or we want to play around with yeast, or we want to do something a bit more experimentational with oak, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How did this Pinot come about? So this is the 2020 vintage, everyone, that uh, we're talking about. 2020 Gatehouse Pinot Noir. Why did you decide to do this wine? Uh, because it tasted really nice. Is that, am I allowed to just yes. say that? Uh, <laughs> there's more to it, though. It's, <laughs> I am, <laughs> luckily, right. there's more to it. Um, so so we, we make, when we make our wines here, and it, what's, what's really fab about the way we work here and it's 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 my biggest point of pride is you know we make four hundred thousand bottles a year so we're, we're a medium producer in england elsewhere we're a small producer but for england that's 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 quite big and as we know we make that across 27 skus usually if you're making that sort of volume you probably have quite big one or two fairly big presses and your blends would be bigger um, but the way in which we work is that we've got for the number of, for the for the volume of liters that we have, we have a disproportionate number of tanks. By which I mean <laughs> we've got lots of small tanks and not very many really big buggers, um, <laughs> and that's it's a really important part of how we go about our winemaking because by doing this we force ourselves to make things um, to make smaller batches. So we yeah. are. Our fruit is picked on a clone by clone basis. Um, so, you know, we can have batches of fruit that range from, you know, 200, 300 kilos all the way up to um, 10 tons. Um, mm-hmm. But we can break that down into clonal selection and, and, and we, can really, we can really hone in on the bits that we're really interested in. And, and this is a prime example. The gatehouse is a prime example. This was um, a few blocks that came out of Springfield. And it's ninety-two percent Springfield, which is a very sunny um, site. With a little bit coming from Old Bramley, it's a very good site. Um, the clonal selection is quite interesting there because it's um, you've got some sort of classic Burgundy clones in there. So you've got PN eight two eight, which is my personal favourite, and that makes up eighty-six percent of the blend. So that's really ah, okay. exciting. 
Um, then you've got some 777 and you've got some 459 and then oh, did you throw in more... a little bit? Oh, you've thrown in a few others, yeah, just, you? Yeah, just, just a couple of little bits. So tell me, tell me why 828 is your favourite. Okay, all right. So, so 20 years ago in England, when, when you planted a vineyard, you, you, you planted a variety. You went, okay, mm-hmm. I want a big block of Chardonnay or, well, it's 20 years ago. Yeah, no, they would have been planting Chardonnay by then. Um, but yeah, I want a big block of Chardonnay and you wouldn't really know anything more than that. Your variety is Chardonnay. It's come from this nursery and here's your block of vines. That's never been the case here. My father is notorious for being a bit of a clone bore. Um, (laughs) Yes, he is. (laughs) Um, and I've spent many years, um, ribbing him for this and now found myself becoming one as well um so (laughs) so there is a humongous difference in clonal variation so so pinot noir which originates from different parts of the world tastes different and so we have become incredibly anal about which clones we use for making red wine and which clones we plant um with a view towards a what we want to do with that vineyard you know maybe it's not particularly maybe it's a good site but not fantastic and so maybe you do want that to be champagne clone pinot noir um, which tend to be higher cropping you're going to use it for sparkling base so you don't necessarily need the sort of complexity and intensity Mm -hmm. that you get from burgundy clone which are which of course are my favourite clones uh, because they're the most delicious. Um, <laughs> um, so with that in mind, everything's planted based on these things. And we use um, a variety at Hashi, but my favourite is 828. It, I think it's a really powerful burgundy clone. It's, mm-hmm. what I, I, it's, what, it's one of those clones that you taste and you go, this is what Pinot Noir tastes like. Mm-hmm. It's archetypal Pinot Noir. Um, and sometimes... You know, it, and it, it's it's you can you get so many different clones out out here in England. But you know, sometimes you taste other people's pinots, and 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 you know the clones that they've used, and they tend to be German clone stuff, especially if it's come from out east. And you can taste it; it tastes different. So I, I was tasting one; it was delicious, phenomenal. Um, the really amazing. Um, Lime Bay Pinot Noir, really ah, delicious, yes, really course. good wine. I'm yep. I, in no way slighting it, but for me, it was it was it had almost like the pepperiness of a syrup. It was like black pepper. It was really weird, like just that strange little note on the flavour profile. And I was like, that's that, for me, that's not Pinot Noir. But I mean, it, that's not detracting from what was a fantastic wine. But that's that's down to their clonal selection more than okay. anything. And they're using typically German. A, a lot of German clones, yeah. And they're higher yielding, though, aren't they? Than uh, they can clones. be, yes. They yeah. they tend to be higher yielding. They tend to be a dream to grow. They're less disease prone. Ah, okay. They crop higher. They ripen earlier. Um, you get better color extraction. The cluster is more open, so you get better spray penetration. So you probably don't need to spray as much. I mean, they're they're a dream from a viscultural perspective, but. For but me, for, for me, for, yeah, from a from a winemaker's perspective, it's they're not what I perceive as being Pinot Noir, yeah, um, yeah. and that's that's not to say that the Lime Bay Pinot Noir doesn't taste like Pinot Noir. It does, and it's a phenomenal wine. I'm in no way trying to say 
mine is better, but mine is better. <laughs> you're allowed to. If you don't make wine you like, then you have a problem, don't you? Amen. You, exactly. Now, you talk about these these clones. And for people just to understand, one of the things that I found was the most impressive about why is Balfour's wines very high in quality? Well, on our 100-acre home vineyard site, there are 136 different combinations of clones and rootstocks. And oh, yeah. As, I haven't even started on those. Oh, God. Well, I, I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking that everybody mm. is going to be on a another episode but it's impressive you know because for anyone to understand what you and Owen explained to me is that clones obviously give you complexity diversity obviously they're going to also help you with consistency because you can choose what you want depending on the year and the vintage but the rootstocks they can change ripening so by maybe a day two days three days so if we have mm-hmm. issues with frost or rain it allows us to hedge our bets a little bit so with all of these different combinations Actually, you can get so geeky. It's fascinating. I can only imagine every time something, a new little batch comes in, in the winery once it's been picked and you're tasting it. It's fascinating just to taste those slight differences in flavor profile. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you're right. And, and very briefly, I won't go too far. It's worth <laughs> saying, it's, it, you're right. It's the real, the real charm of, of rootstocks. It's things like, you know, especially in this day and age with climate change and things like that, what we're finding more and more is that the... the Yes, on the whole, it's good for growing grapes in England uh, as a rule. But the frost window, which used to be March, April, and that would be it. And you'd, want, you'd get to the last week in April and you'd be able to be fairly comfortable that your vines, which had just burst, so they're at their very, their most vulnerable. And just after mm-hmm. bud burst, you have these very small leaves, very green, very easily killed off by a frost. The frost window used to finish then. Uh, but now, you know, we've had frosts well into the middle of May. Um, in the last two years and if you've got a rootstock which means that your vine goes through bud burst one or two days later that one or two days could make the world of difference to whether or not you have a crop because if the bud hasn't burst then it's to an extent protected from frost yeah yeah it's fascinating and and it's, it's such a marginal climate that that day or two really does make a big difference now, you tell me about, obviously, we're doing really good Pinot Noir. And I think, from my conclusion, with all the clones and certain rootstocks as well, that is probably one of the reasons. Would I be right? I think you guys said many years ago, nobody knew if they even had champagne Pinot Noir clones or maybe German clones or perhaps they did have some Dijon. The fact that mm. the reputation for England is, oh, we don't make very good Pinot Noir or we don't make very good reds. Do you think that going forward, that is going to disappear as more and more people figure out what clones they have and plant oh, the right absolutely. clones? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really irritating. All of a sudden, we'll have real competition <laughs> from everywhere. I think everyone is, is, is now very cognizant of their clonal choices. It's not helped by people like me continually asking people what clones they're using and, and oh, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, really, we should have shut up and not told anyone that that's where we focus. But I don't think, I'm sure everyone will have worked it out themselves anyway by now. But no, I think you look at the quality of the output of English still wines in general, but red wines especially, it's the curve of improvement is exponential. Um, and there are some really phenomenal wines out there. You know, you've got Danbury Ridge, you've got Lime Bay, you've got us, um, all making phenomenal 
red wine to Gasborne. Um, I probably should give a nod to them, seeing as apparently they make just as good a red wine as me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gasborne, they, I've loved their red wine, their Pinot Noirs for years. They're, they're really well made, really well thought through, um, and and yeah, people. I think I think you know, it has real future, real scope. Yeah, and we've obviously, so for everyone to know, we have 100 acres on our home vineyard. We have planted 100 acres across different sites in Kent as well. But yep. what is very exciting is you've just planted in Essex as well, haven't you? Can we touch on that yes. just very quickly? Yes, we can. We absolutely can. So Essex is, uh, it's not quite the hottest county in England, but it's certainly is the it not? driest. Oh. No, no, the, ah. the Kent Dry is the hottest, but, it, but Essex is by far and away the driest county. Um, okay. One of our sites saw 170 mil of rainfall in the entirety of 2021, which was actually quite a That's wet year. ridiculous, um, yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, phenomenally dry sites, um, really interesting sort of topography um, and some really exciting wines that have been coming out of Essex for the last few years. And, and actually, well, to be honest, we first used Essex fruit at Balfour in 2015. Um, we mm. bought Pinot Noir from Clay Hill. Oh no, I don't think we. I don't think we can claim that. I mean, Clay Hill have been growing fruit <laughs> for twenty years at least now, um, and they're a fantastic vineyard. Um, irritatingly, they sell all their fruit to other people and none to us at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> but you say Clay Hill. Yeah. Now everyone's talking about Crouch Valley, and for yeah. anyone, I think that probably is going to get this big stamp of Grand Cru site uh, very soon. But mm. Clay Hill. Is that also Clay Hill, Clay Hill is, on, is on the Crouch Valley. Right, uh, it's, there it's we in go. The Crouch Valley, very good site. Um, but we have one site in the Crouch Valley and then one site a little further north. Um, but they're both really interesting sites, really dry. And we've, we've specifically targeted them for still wine production. Um, mm-hmm. So the clonal, clonal map there is a lot of Burgundy clone Pinot Noir. Uh, a lot of Chardonnay, um, and we've also put some Bacchus in as well. Um, okay, good. I like my Bacchus. We could, we could use, we could all use a little more Bacchus in our lives. I life. think so. I think so. And once all the plantings are finished, that's going to account for about fifty acres. Am I right? Um, fifty acres, maybe. It depends. It depends how much more we can convince them to grow. So the way okay. the way our model operates these days is if. If it's not a home site, i.e. if it's not on the Hashith estate, it's grown on our behalf. Uh, so yeah. we give these growers 15 to 25 year contract to grow fruit for us. In return, we pay them um, a, a very reasonable price for their fruit um, and we get clonal and rootstock selection as part of the deal. So we choose how many acres they plant to an extent, i.e. we say, can you plant this much? And they say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, we choose the the varietals, the rootstocks, and the clones that they plant, and then we work together, um, growing this fruit over the over the growing season and preparing it for harvest. Um, and then, yeah, and then they completely disregard us when it comes to picking dates and pick whenever they can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Fun. It's a great model <laughs> because it works really well for everyone. You know, these growers are assured of a, a good price for the next fifteen years. Um, and we get the best sites in the country without any major capital outlay, as it were, um, yeah. because we don't have to buy them. So, you know. And in theory, am I right in thinking as well, if they get 
lower yields, if they bring you better quality fruit, they also get paid more as well, right? Yeah, yeah. so there's a matrix for how they get paid. So the higher quality of the fruit, the more they get. But it doesn't matter. If, if, if they If they want to bring in... 10 tons an acre of band a fruit i'm, I'm not going to complain that's fine by me. <laughs> um so we we don't limit them to a maximum yield per acre but you know there are obvious payoffs between and we make it we make it clear that we'd rather they picked the quality than quantity and, and we 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 reflect that in our pricing you know they could theoretically crop at whatever rate they want but if they're not hitting quality bands then it's not worth doing um, exactly. So that's 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 the way we've done it because we don't want to tell them how to how to suck eggs. We're not we're not we're not going <laughs> to nanny them. We want the best quality fruit, and we're willing to pay the best you know some of the best prices around. Is they're really they're good contracts. There you go, everyone growers listening. Um, now, question: Have we planted mm-hmm. any more Pinot Meunier? Uh, we have. So we're looking to increase our Meunier percentages uh, to around about 30 percent um so at the moment it's probably about 10 or 15 percent of our plantings we'd like to see it higher um yeah because for anyone who doesn't know we released another and i say we i wasn't there at the time but i was drinking it which was the red miller so it was a still red it was still Pinot Meunier it went on to be the first English red to win the gold trophy at the international wine challenge everybody loved it it sold out way too quickly it was an absolute dream you know anyone who tasted it wants to know when in fact I was at a fair on Saturday showcasing Balfour wines and someone came up to me and was like are you going to be doing another Red Miller (laughs) that this is the question I get so so Ferg are we going to do another Red Miller Uh... 2.0 I mean, would never say never. Um, the climactic conditions, and I, I, I mean, I've never seen Pinot Meunier like that. It was some mm. of the best fruit, some of the best Pinot Meunier I've ever come across. The numbers, you, there's, a, there's a reason that Meunier appears so much in champagne blends and things like that. It, crop, it crops highly, it ripens early, but it, it reaches a plateau, it reaches a ripeness and then it doesn't tend to push beyond that it gets to a point where it's ripe and it goes okay i'm done and that's 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 when you pick it it doesn't always respond well to added hang time which is the way you sort of really make if you're pushing for red wine with pinot noir you try and encourage more hang time so once the fruit get reaches sort of the chemical ripeness you leave it and you let it get to phenolic ripeness and watch those sugars creep up at the same time so it doesn't okay. it doesn't reach um it doesn't tend to do that um so this batch uh, that we used to make the 2018 red miller was was a bit of a freak <laughs> and we really weren't sure what what was happening so we which is why we crushed it for red we thought well no one ever needs to know and we can always make it into a rosé um or blend it into it, our rosé yeah. and it, yeah. and it would have been fine um, but it just kept getting better. Um, it was really interesting because it was in a stockage tank. Because the oak regime was quite limited. It, it had some oak, but not masses. And so it was in a tank next to our Luke's Pinot Noir, uh, which is our, our portfolio red. And and Luke's has this phenomenally sort of, it's it's very much made in the German style. We go for, you know, quite a low percentage of oak. It's quite fruit forward. It's about beautiful sort of red fruit profile. And, and I love that. Uh, but you sort of tasted the Meunier next to the Luke's and you, they had a similar sort of, um, what's the word? Uh, we made them in a similar way. Um, yeah. And so, uh, but what was really interesting was the Meunier instantly 
was showing sort of like an older profile. It tasted a bit like, you know, aged Pinot Noir. It was mm-hmm, really interesting. Mm-hmm. It developed yeah. much quicker. Um, for me, yeah, wilder. It had this earthy yeah. tone. There was, there was real depth, but then lightness and brightness. Yeah, very Yeah, intriguing. it was such a, it was a fascinating wine. And because they were next to each other, I was tasting them side by side quite regularly. And it was, it was phenomenal to what, you could tell they were the same genus. You could tell that mm. somewhere there was a genetic link between the two varietals. But beyond that, it, they were chalk and cheese. Really interesting. Um, so the answer is, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's about but, vintage, right? Yeah, We're going to have to wait and vintage. see what, what happens. Okay. 2022 looks good. You know, you've got the right climactic conditions thus far. So, you know, no reason it's... not to. Is the fact that we're going through a heat wave and we like haven't seen any rain for weeks and weeks and weeks going to be a problem? At what point, when we're kind of we're at flowering now, turning to fruit sets? Obviously, it's great. We don't want rain that could damage the flowers. But is there going to be a problem at some point, considering we don't irrigate? Uh, nah, I reckon we're all right. <laughs> great, love that conclusion. Everyone just carrying enjoying the sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, I think on the whole, you know, we're okay. We've, we we had a lot of rainfall over the winter. The water table was quite high. You know, these vines have, are pretty well established, especially on the home sites. Yeah, I'm yes. not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not worried, not worried. at the moment. Okay. No. And and we Perfect. do have uh, some of our younger vineyards do actually have fergation, so they might might well be able to run run water through those lines if if things if the vines do start to look stressed but um okay it's it's early we're gonna be okay yeah i think we're okay good now just to finish off then actually just talking about some of our other plantings just very quickly what i find fascinating and i wonder if this is the future for balfour you tell me Hmm. on our home vineyard we're planted on clay soils which i think you and owen explained that often with fruit can give some real depth that's lovely um then we've planted the other 100 acres across kent and they're either on chalk soils or on green sands um so if i remember rightly the chalk gives you a real raciness and the green mm-hmm. sands was bringing and we bringing aromatics was i listening correctly uh yeah you're not a million miles off um <laughs> yeah. you just don't want to say yes um, no heaven forbid i just go yes how you are correct dare you? <laughs> Thank you. No. um so with the fact that we've now got these three different soils is the future at all to do more a Pinot Noir on chalk soils, a Pinot Noir on clay soils, or a Chardonnay um, on green sand soils? Is there is there anything that might ever happen with that? Uh, yes, I think they're more the different soil types. It's interesting. I think they are more colours for the palette to be able to have mm. different to have different soil types in a um, blend, right? It, for blends is is really yeah. useful um that doesn't mean i'm not going to look to isolate certain things but i actually i think that pinot noir in england responds best to clay uh, i i'm i'm a i'm a okay, firm, interesting. i'm a firm mm-hmm. believer in burgundy cloned pinot noir from a clay site i think is the way the truth and the light when but then again chardonnay chardonnay on chalk is something else it is it is something sort of almost ethereal it's this got this incredible mm. energy to it and vibrancy that you don't get from chardonnay on on green sand or on on clay that's not to say you know that, that i'd want all my wines to have this but it's it's certainly it's certainly interesting and it's certainly unique and you know that could be something we play with on the whole i think i think 
you know, it's more about, it's not necessarily about isolating specific soil types. I think different soil types will just bring different characteristics to wines as, as blending components. Um, I'm more interested in going down clonal routes. So I've, okay. at, the, at the moment, um, I'm sure in 12 months time, I'll be releasing my winemakers collection, which I will title Soil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be a collection of six different uh, wines. Encouraged from by different... Yanina. Yeah, <laughs> and it'll be six different wines from six different soil types. But uh, right I, now, I, right right now, my July, focus is clonal, and I think you know, I think it probably is a futures thing because a lot of these newer sites are on different soils, but they're also quite young. Um, you know, mm. we both, we only planted in Essex. Um, well, the first fruit went in in twenty twenty one, but the majority actually got planted. Oh no, twenty twenty the first fruit went in, but the majority got okay. planted this year. You know, so mm-hmm. so we're not going to see anything from there for in, in any real quantity for three or four years. Um, the other sites, the other Kent sites, are still you know five years, probably five years old. That they're not at their oldest, but the majority are probably about five years old. So still, you know, it's they're still young in their development. Um, so yeah, yes, I think soil will come in, but not for a, another decade. I love it though. I love that we have all this and I love the development and for everyone it's just growing. I think the conclusion it's growing in England, things are getting more exciting. I think our wines are getting more and more exciting. The vines are getting older, the roots are going further. It's all a very exciting moment, isn't it Ferg? Absolutely. I'm extremely excited. (laughs) Well we know. You said you put it in the diary. That's what you said at the beginning of the podcast. I did indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Fergus, thank you. You're definitely going to have to come back because I've got way more questions. So everybody, hold this space. Go and get yourself a bottle of Balfour endorsed by both myself and by Fergus. We promise you will absolutely love it, right? Oh, yeah, no, it'll be really delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Says the winemaker. I Um, hope you enjoy it. Yes, they will. They will. Thanks, Ferg. I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Have fun. (laughs) So I certainly want to get Fergus back on again because his technical knowledge is incredible and I think there's so much more we can get out of that brain of his. But for now, come visit us. We are in Staplehurst, Kent. If you're leaving from London Bridge on the train, it's just 45 minutes to Marden train station. Now, as always, I shall leave you with a wine quote. And seeing as there has been quite a Pinot Noir focus, I found a brilliant quote from a judge at the drinks business Global Pinot Noir Masters tasting. Now, sadly, I do not know who the judge is, but hilariously they said, Pinot is like the little girl who had a curl. When it is good, it is very, very good. When it is bad, it is horrid. (laughs) Well, I hope that you are all convinced that in England, Pinot Noir can be very, very good. Right, that is it for today and for this season. It's only four weeks I am away, so just go back over some old episodes and re-familiarise yourself with wines of Ningxia, China, wines of Brazil, wines of Poland. And if I haven't covered a region that you really want me to, do get in touch with me by email, yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk, and it's yanina spelt with a J, or on Instagram, direct message me at 
eat, sleep, underscore, wine, repeat. Right, don't forget to like, share, subscribe and comment if you haven't already. And until the next episode, cheers to you.